So I'm just going to read a little bit of Ephesians chapter 2. Some of my, it's one of my favourite chapters in the Bible. Some of the language might be a bit confusing, but that's okay. But we're looking at what is grace. And this is kind of a, a great passage that just uh, explains. It's uh, Paul who just explains uh, a little bit about what grace looks like. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. So what is grace? As I said, the continuum of 20 questions. This is, I think, our seventh one, so we're kind of making some uh, good steam ahead, really. And it's not a question of, I always struggle with kind of grace. And I go, oh, grace is amazing, grace is amazing. Because my wife is called Grace. And I think people kind of struggle to kind of, I'm talking about both at the same time, of course. <laughs> I've noticed she's not actually here, so I could get away with saying anything. Um, but grace is this kind of unmerited, undeserved favour is the picture. And in one sense, my wife is, is a great picture of that. In that she's called Grace, but also it's grace that she got with me because... It's unmerited, it's undeserved on my part. I mean, I'm punching quite considerably above my weight. There's a few people nodding in, in agreement, so I'll take that as a... Uh, and it still actually remains with me a little bit of a mystery as to why she got with me in the first place. And us. And, yes, and the church, yeah. I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> um, and the question also isn't grace, as in when we think of this word, often it can be, oh, so-and-so graced us with their presence. Um, or somehow it's associated with elegance and smooth, smoothness of, of movement, often associated with things like interpretive dance. But we're not doing a, a sermon on that. I don't know if anyone caught Eurovision last night. And they saw, um, who was it? It was Azerbaijan. And there was these two people that were dancing interpretive dance like the wolf. And I just thought to myself, that's why we're not keen on interpretive dance. Right there. So it's not grace in that term, it's grace in terms of the unmerited, undeserved favour. Now, uh, for those who don't know me, I left my kind of full-time job in September to start Redeemer King with uh, the core team of people, 10 of us, who have done an amazing job. We had a bit of a party last night, which was great. But at times, that going from full-time employment to just serving the Lord in a different capacity is a bit testing. And you're kind of like, well, okay, actually there's been many just incidences and pictures of God's grace, whether it's just money through the post in, in envelopes that I don't know where it's come from. Or once we were kind of like, right, well, we need to go and get some food. You open the door and there's Morrison's bags on the door. And you're like, okay, well, that saves me going to Morrison's, saves a bit of petrol. Uh, just God's grace, really. People being gracious to us. The amount of people who have known we've needed to move house who have said, come and live with us. Now, they've said that, being kind and being gracious. And then what's happened is, moments later, they've realised what they've said. It's great living with grace. Evangeline and Elijah, but it would mean living with me. 
so it, that's a very, very kind thing for people to have offered. Um, and that's very, you know, and that's an example again of just people showing kind of unmerited and undeserved favour. Um, but actually, just to kind of put you at ease, if you were slightly worried and you were going to offer us somewhere to live after the service, we found somewhere, we're going to move next weekend, I think, which is amazing. And all of that has actually been in God's timing as well, and has been to do with the people that we know, and people just blessing us. And I think that's the picture of grace, actually. What grace is, if we say, what is grace? I think it's God's blessing, ultimately, upon his people. Unmerited, free kindness shown towards us. Generosity that's been shown towards us. Over the last six months, the generosity that's shown towards me and my family, we have not earned it. We have not deserved it. It has been freely given to us. And that's kind of what we're talking about here this morning, but particularly how God speaks and shows that favour and that kindness towards us as human beings. In Jeremiah 31, it says this, At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel, and they'll be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness when Israel sought rest. The Lord appeared to them far away and said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I've continued my faithfulness to you. Chapter 31 of Jeremiah, for those who don't, is kind of a significant chapter at the heart of the book. And it's where God basically renews his promises to his people. And the very heart of his promises to his people is his promise of grace, is his promise of favour, is the promise of him being with them. That as they seek rest, they will find rest because God will provide it for them. Again, it's undeserved that the people of Israel have just been doing their own thing. They've been going their own way. Hence, they've been in battles with the sword. The last thing they actually deserve is the rest and the peace and the grace and the kindness and the goodness of God. And yet, that's exactly what he offers to them. Why? Because he's a loving God who pours out his love on his people. That's what it says in Jeremiah 31. And that's what we see as Jesus comes and he announces the coming of the kingdom. That God is love. That he's here to show his love. And I think that's what grace kind of epitomises really. God's love for us. There's only one grace that comes from God. But it kind of can take on and manifest itself in different forms. There's something called common grace. Which isn't for peasants. Or for, you know, some of the Eastern European bloc countries that are in Eurovision and that kind of culture and, you know, the old Soviet Union. It's not that. Common, as in it's for everybody. The whole earth, this grace is given to. Every single man, woman, child. And then there's something which theologians call saving grace. um, Which is particularly grace that saves. Grace that uh, is given that those that respond who trust in Jesus actually live eternally. And we keep coming back to this in all these questions. Quite often, you'll, you'll hear us. And actually, we'll go back to the very beginning. We'll, we'll quote from Genesis. Or we'll say, well, this is where it all went wrong. And there's a reason for that. Because that's the way the Bible story paints it. But Adam and Eve, real people, um, rebelled against God. And in one sense, set the standard of what's expected for all of humanity. And ever since, we've just been following in Adam and Eve's footsteps. They sin uh, because they're sinners. And so do we. We, we separate ourselves from God. And what that means in the Bible storyline, it means for us, is that because we sin, we are worthy of eternal separation from God and eternal punishment. That's all that we deserve. So when we're talking about grace this morning as being undeserved, what we actually deserve is hell, actually, and death straight away. That's what we should be get, but it's not actually what we're given straight away. In one sense, as soon as we sin, the punishment is death. We should be struck down straight away. Do we understand that? We're not, but that, 
that was what we would deserve, actually. God would be completely just and right in doing that if he would choose to, because the punishment we read, the wages of sin, is death. Yet, that doesn't happen. We continue to live on to this day. We continue to take breaths. Death is kind of postponed, actually. And the question that raised in my mind is, how can God continue to give blessings to those who deserve only death? It's a good question, isn't it? It's a question to kind of ask yourself, how can God do that? And the answer is grace. The answer is because God is love. If you look at the world that we live in now and contrast it with actually the we should just be given death and we should just be punished eternally straight away, we should see thousands of examples every single day of God's sustaining grace and God's love for us, shouldn't we? Every breath that we take is God's grace. Every day that we have, the, the world that we live in, the Peak District. It's great living in the Peak District. I'm not a massive walker. I like cars. But I can appreciate some people like walking and it's quite pretty. I did a bit of gardening for six months. Some of the plants and flowers are quite nice. That's as far and cultural as I'm going to get. They're quite nice. This doesn't mean we're going to have a flower arranging rotor. Just in case anybody was, you know, that feels like that's your calling. But flowers are nice, aren't they? So, it's just a shame, like tulips, they're amazing, but they just last all of five minutes. And then they just look horrible. But there's beauty, isn't there, in the world? There's mountains. If anyone here has done any travelling of any kind, and you've been to different cultures and different societies, you see this amazing creation that we live in. Rivers, waterfalls, forests, mountains. As I said, every breath that we take is the grace of God. The food that we eat. The clothes on our back, the provision that we have. In one sense, I want us to see that everything we have is a bonus. I think that's a helpful way of thinking about it. Because sometimes we go around thinking that we deserve all these things. And we're deserving of everything. Every breath that I take is a bonus. And more than I deserve in light of my attitude and in light of my sinfulness towards a holy God. If we start thinking uh, all the things that God graces with as a bonus, things that we don't deserve... It changes our whole attitude. It changes the way that we look at life itself. This is a passage from Scripture. I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So this is Jesus speaking in Matthew. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. God, uh, the sun in the sky, the rains that fall are for both those that follow after Jesus and for those that don't. The same sunshine that shines upon the thief and the drug mule shines on me as well. The same rain that falls and uh, provides food for us all. It's grace. It's common grace. That's what we would understand it of. There's grace in the development of technology. Have we ever thought about that? The gifts and abilities that we have, again, they're not deserved. The advancement of technology. Do you think cars just come out of nowhere? Do you think as humanity we're that bright? Or do you think that God actually kind of in his grace, allows us to develop technologies and ideas and ways of sustaining fuel and developing society so that we live in a better place. The internet, the development of intellect, all of our gifts are freely given to us by God. I mean, if, if I'm a great footballer, which I think we all know that I'm alright, obviously not great, otherwise I wouldn't be here, um, I may have worked hard to achieve being better at football. 
But if I have absolutely zero ability, like, say, one of my brothers, um, I can't just become a footballer. It doesn't work. It's about gifting. Likewise, if anybody's ever watched me play the piano, it's one of these kind of da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. I just can't do it. My fingers don't work independently of each other properly. My mind to my hand just doesn't work. Yet some people have an amazing gifting that they can just play every instrument under the sun. It's God's free gift to that person to be used to glorify him. Uh, our sport, our art, if we're into art and drawing seahorses, if we like music, if we like culture, some culture I don't think is acceptable, like operas, but most culture, I mean, I'm, I'm starting to appreciate the ballet a little bit. You know, my daughter's starting ballet, and I think ballet, actually, it's amazing, isn't it? What they can do. Like their poise and their grace. You know, that's a gift from God, isn't it? Because I'm just clunky and clumsy, uh, as most blokes are. So our gifts and our abilities are all of grace. Don't ever think, oh, look at me, I'm awesome. But rather, wow, okay, let's point to the one who's allowed me to have these gifts and abilities to be used to further his kingdom. Often we separate gifts and abilities, don't we? I'm arty, or I'm cultural, or I'm sporty, and we somehow think, well, they can't be used for God because we don't do kick-ups on a Sunday morning. But actually, every gift that we have can be used to glorify God because he's the one that's created us. So don't think you're not gifted. We all have unique gifts, and we all contribute to the life of the church in different ways. That's an aspect of common grace. There are non-Christians, newsflash, who are incredibly gifted. Because God has given them gifts and abilities. Not because they're amazing people that have worked really hard. Hard work helps. But people like David Beckham, who, you know, is a Liverpool fan, to say that he was a very good footballer. You know, he's worked hard, but he's also had natural ability that he's been given in order to do that. There's other things that we see that grace. Our morality is a gift of God's grace. We're created with a conscience, aren't we? A moral compass that roughly we will know what is right or what is wrong. Now, people choose to break that, or people choose to ignore that, but we should know, roughly, within ourselves, in our hearts, that is a good thing. That is something I should be doing. That's a bad thing. Most people know murder, theft, adultery are things that we shouldn't be doing. There's something, there's something from God that's just put into us. He knows how to give good gifts to us. We know also, in terms of morality, what constitutes a good gift, don't we? We know how to please people. Luke 11, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That's a really good verse for Pentecost Sunday. How much more will God our Father choose to give God the Holy Spirit to those who ask him, those who want to receive it? Even though we are evil, even though we mess up, even though we make huge mistakes, every single one of us, we still know how to give good gifts. Most of us. I mean, we all get bad gifts from our grandparents, don't we? But we all know how to give good gifts. The point of me demonstrating all this about common grace is that I think sometimes we kind of get into a rot, we get into a rut of despair as we look at the, oh, there's raining today. Oh, I've got to go to work today. Life is miserable today. And we start saying, well, God doesn't care. Where's God? Why doesn't God love me? Why is my life like this? 
Just imagine what life would be like if God didn't intervene. If there wasn't any grace. If we weren't given any gifts. If we were given exactly what we deserved as we deserved it. That makes no sense. But if in that moment we were punished for the things that we deserve. Everything is of grace. Everything is of God and his kindness towards him. If God wasn't intervening... I mean, the world's bad as it is, but it would be all out carnage. All the time. There would be never any moments of peace. But the fact is that he chooses to bless us. And he chooses to bless those that follow him and those that don't. And that shows us his love. And I think that means that these are not the days for self-pity. These are not the days for us, church, to be woe is me. It's raining outside. Life is miserable. These are days to rejoice because God has given us grace. Because God has given us every breath. God has given us every moment. God has given us every opportunity that we have. Everything that we have is a bonus. Everything that we have. Our homes, our mortgages, our rent, money, whatever we have, a gift from God. And you know what? When we start to think like that, we will rejoice in God more. We will find joy in him more. The other application for us is we won't resent people either. Have you ever been, have the words, it's not fair, ever left your lips? How is it that those people, how is it that he's got a Ferrari 458 on his drive? How's that happened? It's not fair. I've worked hard. How is it that he's got that or this eight bedroom house that there's only two of them? How's that happened? And we start going, it's not fair. Life's not fair. God's not fair. Doesn't take long till you get there. So instead of resenting those people and saying, oh, I'm stuck with this, I'm stuck with that, it's an opportunity for us to be grateful for what we do have. An opportunity for us to say, thank you, God, for all the things that you give me, down to the very breath that I have taken today. And you know what that does? It keeps us humble. It keeps us focused on him and it just keeps us hoping as well. We don't get so full of ourselves that we're putting our trust in our eight-bedroom house, even though there's two of us. We're putting our trust in our creator who keeps us content, who keeps us going. You know, when uh, over the last six months money's dropped through our door, it's always been the right amount to pay the bills that we have. It's not been Euro Millions win. Because you know what, if I got a Euro Millions win, I'd be like, oh, brilliant, I'm fine now. I'm self-sufficient. But it's been just enough. And that's why the way that God works, he keeps us content, he keeps us focused on him, he keeps us looking to him and hoping in him. And that's grace to us. But it gets better than that, I think, church, because that's just common grace that's poured out upon all people. What about the grace that saves us eternally? And as that passage that uh, I read before from Luke 11 about how God gives good gifts to his children and he gives God the Holy Spirit. And you read that in Acts 1 where he says to the apostles, he says, wait. Wait here, wait in Jerusalem for God the Holy Spirit to be poured out upon you in power. And then you will be my witnesses, then you will go. And that, the God the Holy Spirit being poured out upon us, is only for those who are saved. It's only for those that are trusting in God eternally. That's saving grace. If he chooses to bless those, uh, everybody, with the breath that we breathe and the Uh, The things that we have. How much more will he bless those who trust in his son? 
How much more will he give to those that are going to be with him eternally? You see, this common grace that as we walk around this planet, as we see the beauty, as we realize every breath that we have is of God, it should lead us to repentance. That's what the Bible says. It should lead us to realizing how kind and how great God is. It should lead us to turning our life around instead of rejecting him, following after him. Now, common grace is awesome. I want us to see that, that God being kind to everybody is fantastic. That we have these structures in society, that we have arty people, that we have sporty people, that we have moral values. But being a good person and being a recipient of common grace doesn't change our hearts. It doesn't change our eternal destinies. What, we don't just need a little kind of bit of behaviour modification. Some churches will teach that. Just a little bit of behaviour modification. That's not what we need. We need to be a new person. We need a new start. We don't just need a makeover. Ephesians 2, which I read at the start, says we were dead. You don't just dress up death. We're going to have a makeup here and there to make it look better than it is. We need new life. Ephesians 2, I'm going to read it again because it's amazing. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, uh, following the prince of the power of the air, who's referring to Satan though. We were just doing our own thing. We were just living in disobedience. And then it says, but God being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he has loved us, even when we were dead, even when we were dead, made you alive with Christ, by grace you've been saved. So even when we were dead and we contributed nothing but rebellion and rejection, God came for us in the person of Jesus. And at one time or another, every single person in this room has been spiritually dead. At one point. And the only reason we've come alive is because of God's grace and that we've responded to it. So when you look around this morning, don't look around and feel, oh, I'm so inferior to that person. That person's so much more gifted than me or they're, they're just doing these amazing things. But I can see why God loves them. But why would God love me? What do I have? Well, all of us just had death. But God gave us life. And it's by God's grace again. God being rich in mercy because of his love for us, even when we were dead, made us alive. Jesus comes into the world to rescue us. There's this amazing video on, uh, on YouTube that you can find. And he's kind of talking about this. There's a song called Made Alive. And there's this picture of, of Jesus reaching down from heaven. And you see him pull down his hand through the clouds. It's kind of all metaphorical. And you see a skeleton and, you know, the bones of a hand the other side. And the hands meet. And as the hands meet in this imagery... And the skeleton is pulled upwards towards Christ. Uh, it's clothed in flesh. It's given a new life. It's given a new body. And it's this amazing picture of actually what happens when God rescues us in Christ. That we're just lost in death. And then he reaches down and rescues us and gives us new life. And that new life is far better than the life that we were leading before. Because it's full of hope. It's full of love. And more importantly, it's full of God. Because we're filled with God's spirit. And we have the opportunity to be filled with his spirit and encounter God in real ways as we walk with him. And that's all unmerited, all undeserved, all God's favour for us. That God dies upon a cross in the person of Jesus and raises again is all of God's grace, is all of God's mercy. We don't deserve God to go through the pain and the agony of Calvary, but he chooses to. Why? Because he loves you, because he wants you in a relationship with him. He doesn't want us left in death and left as a skeleton. He wants to give us new life. This is a good time to say hallelujah. Oh, we'll get there, won't we? That is the poorest hallelujah I've ever heard. 
We need to be more Pentecostal. But as that happens, as we're kind of raised to new life, we don't necessarily go from scumbag to super saint overnight. Don't think all of a sudden you're going to be the bee's knees. We end up on a journey with Jesus. Not every addiction that we hold is broken in that moment. But some of them are. Not everything changes straight away. But our whole attitude and our pattern of behaviour should change over time. We should always recognise that we're on a journey of faith. And we won't always get things right. And people won't always get things right. And we will make mistakes. But it's generally, are we heading towards Christ? Are we continuing to walk with him? Are we repenting of our sin consistently and turning around and following after him? Because, you know, changing from a skeleton to life, changing from death to life, as far as changes go, I think that's pretty significant, isn't it? So over time, there should be a change. Something should be different. And if there isn't, if we haven't ever had an encounter with God, if we've not met with him, if we continue to just walk our own way, and maybe we're a cultural question, cultural question? <laughs> wow, too much time listening to kind of people singing in English in their native kind of accent last night on Eurovision. <laughs> Cultural Christian, we maybe haven't done that. You know, often uh, I was brought up in the church, and so I can't necessarily pinpoint a specific moment. Now, I'm really thankful that I was brought up in the church, and you know, if you've got children, bring them to church because it's really important. That they grow up seeing that and grow up loving Jesus. But if you've come to faith as an adult, you will often be able to say, it happened on this day, at this time, at this moment, and I can tell you everything about it. Why? Because it's a significant change. It's a change from death to life. Um, and don't worry, you know, if, if you've brought up in the church and you can't pinpoint that, if you want it, you'll be able to see a trajectory in your life, hopefully, of where you once were and where you are now as you walk with God. It should, in one sense, bring results in life. It should bring a change. It should bring more grace flowing from our life. We should be more like Jesus. Paul asks the question because he thinks, well, people could just take the mick. He says, well, do I just go on sinning? If I give my life to Jesus, should I just carry on doing what I've always done so that grace may abound? Because it's all right, God will forgive me anyway. And he says, of course not. And the point of that is, if we're taking the mick... If we're kind of saying, well, you know, Jesus died, so it's all right, I'll just do what I want. We haven't really understood grace. We haven't actually understood the gospel. Because if, if Jesus really died upon a cross for him, that's not, for us, it's not something we're going to take lightly, is it? That the Son of God would choose to die and be raised to new life for us. I don't think the gift of everlasting life is something that we should take lightly. You see, this new life that we are given and blessed with through saving grace, should not only impact us, but it should impact other people. Saving grace should never just impact ourselves, it should impact the world that we live in. That's why when the disciples are clothed in power, it says, therefore go. It doesn't say stay in Jerusalem for the rest of your days. It says you'll be filled with my spirit and then you will go from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There's a kind of application for this grace of God that comes into us that then goes out. In other words, the structures in society that we see, the places that we work, are brilliant places for people to be able to see new life in Christ. That's what they're there for. 
That's what we're to be in the workplaces for. We're to be people of grace and mercy. People who demonstrate what Christianity looks like. People who influence politics. People that influence lawmaking. Every sphere of life we can influence for good. And it, it raises that question of what are we known for. And I was reminded, as I said this, of this story I had in Debenham's car park. And uh, I was trying to park my car and there was this woman driver. Surprise, surprise. Contentious issue. Uh, trying to park in this space. <laughs> oh, I shouldn't have said that, should I? And there's a space over here in this one bay. And there's a space over here. And uh, she's trying to get in this one, even though I'm signalling. That winds you up, doesn't it? I'm signalling. I'm there first, love. Oh, no, I'm going to try and faff about and get in this space. And I, I'm not joking here. For a full five minutes, she's faffing about trying to get in. And eventually, she gives up and just parks in the one opposite. Now, I couldn't get in this because she's, like, manoeuvring and doing, like, a 30-point turn. She doesn't even say sorry. Right? So I've been patient for about the first ten seconds. And then I just whiz my car up, reverse park, like, one time, bosh, in, no problem. And then it all goes horribly wrong, because I am fuming. And I look over as she gets out of her car and starts sarcastically clapping at her. Oh, well done, love. I think, okay, Grace is getting a rage on at me at this point. And, I'm, and then I get out of the car, and I don't know why, but I, these words leave my lips. Wasn't it hard, was it, love, really? I just did it in one manoeuvre. Maybe you shouldn't be driving. Yeah, it wasn't good. We then got into a little bit of a shouting match in Debenham's car park. And um, she walked off in a bit of a huff. And so did I. And didn't enjoy my pizza because Grace was angry with me the entire time. And then it struck me, as I sat in Pizza Hut, <laughs> and as she came back to her car and thought she's going to go scratch my vehicle, she's going to go do something to my car, she looks angry. What happens if she turned up on a Sunday? And here she comes. She's still parking. <laughs> she's still parking, yeah. She probably, she probably is fully outside. She can't pick which one to stick it in. <laughs> but I thought, actually, if she knew I was a Christian, what message have I just painted to her? It's not one of grace. What I needed to do was be gracious to her. And probably not say anything. Or just say, you know, just, just leave it and just smile at her. Just bless her. That's what I needed to do. And next time, if you're in Debenham's car park, I'm just going to walk. Because it's just not worth the hassle. But it makes my point, doesn't it? In that actually every situation we have, we have the opportunity to extend grace or not. We all have car park moments, don't we? You know, I've hit rocks that jumped out at me. I've done all sorts of things. I'm not the best parker of cars in the world. But in that moment, I thought that I was. We all have these opportunities to either build up or to destroy people. To bless people or to curse people. To show grace or to hold it back. You know, we can either show grace or we can show wrath. Surely, surely, as those that have entered into new life, we are blessed to be a blessing. We've been shown grace and shown forgiveness so that we can show grace and forgiveness to others. I use this term all the time of outgracing one another. I don't know, you may have heard me say this. Oh, well, we'll just outgrace them. And what I'm talking about there is kind of 
I'm not really a, the competitive type of person. I'm, I'm quite laid back and easy. Um, and so this illustration will serve my point perfectly. But I've been a, a little bit of running with a good friend of mine, Andy Payton, recently, who's not here. And we went out for a little bit of a run, and we're both a bit out of shape. You won't mind me saying that. And we haven't done much running recently. And so we do this kind of uh, two-mile little, little jog. And we get about 400 metres from the distance. We say, right, let's sprint in. And we're sprinting in together. It's team. We're going to finish together. About 50 metres from home, he guns it. And I'm thinking, what's he doing? He's trying to win. So I just put the, I just put the afterburners on it and destroy him. And as he came around the corner, a good like five, ten seconds later, I was just, yeah, don't do that again, boy. I beat him. But then I went running with Sam Lomas about six months ago, tried the same thing, and I got destroyed. I just decided to walk. I was like, oh, pull my hamstring, Sam. Yeah, I can't, I can't carry on. Actually, it was just much quicker than me. And actually, when it comes to grace, sometimes we think, well, I'm gracious. I'm kind to my neighbour. I'm kind to my family. You know, I'm more gracious than that person. And we use it as an excuse to actually not grow in outgracing people. We think somehow we've made it. But the point of my running illustration was, there's always going to be someone who can do it better. There's always people that are further on in that journey. There is always more grace that we can show people. We never get to the point where we say, I've been kind enough to that person. I've been generous enough. Doesn't that defeat the object of kindness and generosity? I've been merciful enough. Because God doesn't withhold any of his mercy or any of his grace or any of his generosity or any of his kindness to you and I. So why should we? And I just think sometimes it might be a helpful thing to think about, actually, if I'm not going to settle with my level of kindness. I'm not just going to love the people that I find it easy to love. I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it so that I love those people that make my life difficult. I'm going to be kind to them. Even that person at work that just rubs me up the wrong way. I'm just going to bless them. I'm just going to love them. Why? Because it shows them Christ. Why? Because it shows them that I'm living for something that's bigger than myself. And I was thinking about what is it that displays our Christian faith to the world? Is it that we might have a prayer meeting at work? Is it that someone sees us at our desk reading our Bible? Is it that on a Sunday we preach or we're in the worship band? Are those measures of what it looks like to look like a Christian? I think all those things are great. But actually I think it's how gracious are you? How kind are we being? How loving are we being? How generous are we being? Are we displaying the fruit of having God's Holy Spirit, Galatians 5, in our hearts? And sure, non-Christians can display grace too. Some of them, so, interestingly, some of the people, some non-Christians that we know really well, are often more gracious than those that, than those that profess Christ as their saviour. Shouldn't that shame us? In what sense? We should be those of all the people on the entire planet, those that trust in Jesus, those that extend generosity and undeserved favour towards people. Even if people wind you up, even if people are nasty to you and they don't deserve your kindness, you show it. Because that's what we're called to do. Just as God has been gracious to us, we're to extend that grace to other people. Why? Because what's on the line is everlasting life. What's on the line is whether these people ultimately will trust in Jesus one day or not. And we have that responsibility upon us of whether we're good ambassadors for the kingdom of God. 
we're bad ambassadors for the kingdom of God. So I think the key is, yes, read your Bible. Yes, pray. But show grace. Show love. Be generous. Be kind. Be patient. Go home and have a look at Galatians 5 and read the list. Do those things. And I tell you, we will see amazing things. We will see people that will see within us the hope that we have. When we're generous to our enemies. When we love those that persecute us. When we forgive those that hurt us.